You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Widows, Women, and the Glory of God, recorded on Sunday, May 13th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest Community Church. My name is Mike, and whether you're here in where I am in Catanning or in Freeport, Pennsylvania, or Petroleum Valley, or uh, in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or in the jail, um, welcome to Harvest Community Church. I'm, uh, I got a lot to say before I jump right. We're, we're back into First Timothy. If you uh, regular here, we've been going through First Timothy for uh, longer than uh, Paul. Uh, was alive. <laughs> it's been a long time. We're going to get to the end, God willing, by the end of June. That's, that's the goal. But before I do, just a, a couple things to share. One amazing thing is two of our campus pastors are this week in Israel teaching at some sort of seminar um, for, uh, it doesn't matter what for, they can tell you later. But amazing to know that the United States Embassy in Jerusalem is opening or getting its kickoff or whatever you're Ribbon cutting, I don't know what they do, on Monday. And uh, that is exactly 70 years to the day since Israel was refounded uh, following World War II, right? Or, so that's a very historic moment. I'm really hoping our two guys are in Jerusalem for that, that they're not wandering around Haifa or somewhere else. That they're down there. With, I don't know what their schedule allows, but that is really cool. And um, uh, there's nothing... Nothing else that goes with that. I just, I'm just amazed by that. Um, by God's good plan, it is the Mother's Day weekend, and, and I am on a section of 1 Timothy that deals exclusively with women, just about. And, and I didn't plan that, but there it is. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 16. As you're turning there, I know our next initiative, um, hopefully your campus pastor or whoever is standing in for him has talked to you or will talk to you about it. In, in general, the bottom line is, of our goal of 4 million over two years has been promised. Okay, that's promised, not given, right? So, you know, (laughs) it takes faith to do the second half, promising. (laughs) So, but still, that's great, and and I'm excited about it. I am uh, uh, humbled by it. Uh, I really am, and and I'm not going to go into too much detail about that because it'll take me off course. But I do want you, I want to tell you about one guy's card. And I can't tell you who it is, but there's a giver we have who always likes to be anonymous and always gives cash, right? And so, and that's fine. Some people want to be anonymous. Um, and so I said, I wonder what he'll write on his card. So I looked at his card, and it said, last year's giving, it said 10%. <laughs> so, so, okay, the next card, the increase, it said more. <laughs> And knowing this man's heart, I'm like, praise the Lord. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, whether Most of us wrote numbers. Maybe you wrote numbers. Maybe you wrote something like that. Um, but also, generosity of our people, another story, has nothing to do necessarily with the sermon, but it, the, this next initiative, or, generosity is a habit, and it's also a witness. I was talking to one of the elders, and he said that, uh, that a new restaurant up the road is, was a buzz, and their manager said, uh, somebody, some couple came in, it was five kids, and they, they made friends with the, with the waitress. 
as they were talking, and she revealed that she was going to go to Disney World. She had been saving up. She was very excited to take her child to Disney World. And, um, and so this couple with the five kids left her a hefty after tip. There's a tip, and then there was a, an after tip, you know, just more money <laughs> with a note saying, go enjoy Disney World and whatever else. Um, and if you don't have a church to go to, why not come to where I go to church, Harvest Community Church? Now, the reason this blows me away is because this was a spontaneous moment, you know, that the person just, they, they loved, enjoyed. You know, you can love someone and just want to help them out. And so they did. Um, and, and what a gift that is. It's wonderful. If I was going to Disney World, if someone wants just want to lay a few bucks on me, I'm not going to Disney World. You can lay a few bucks on me for when I do go to Disney World. <laughs> I'm starting my Disney World savings right now, but... But here's the part that blows my mind is I don't know the waitress. I don't even know who she is. She could be here now. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the manager of the restaurant. But because of the good deed done, the manager of the, the whole restaurant knew of this. And they knew the, na- the, the, the guy went to Harvest Community Church. Christians often get a bad name. We get slandered because we hate everybody and we're awful and you know, the worst thing you can be in the world is a Christian. Of course, you and I know that's not true. It's, it's really hard to get the truth out that you and I know and that Christians are people who love other people. And there's just a beautiful thing to see that somehow around the bend, it comes to me through somebody else that Harvest Community Church is the church that has somebody. Who, now, everyone's going to come here and want, want money to go to Disney World, but <laughs> they're not getting it. <laughs> it's not for me. But no, Maybe. Just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. That's, I'm very encouraged with the story. They might get money from me. One other thing having to do with generosity, uh, Life Choices, which uh, has like three, or, they're, they're expanding themselves. They have three or four clinics, I don't know. And they save babies. And um, we're very pro-life here because God is pro-human life. That's why. It's not because we want to be political. And you guys were challenged. We said we raise the most in our baby bottles to help them out, but that's not good enough. And you guys doubled what we gave the year before, went from like $9,000 to $20,000. And um, so they were so happy that they, well, I hope they didn't spend much. They went off and, and, and they came in this week and said, we want to give you guys this like Emmy or uh, <laughs> People's Choice Award. I don't know. <laughs> it says, Harvest, thank you for being champions so we're champions for life and um though we do not we work for heavenly treasure um they they want to encourage us because you guys encouraged them and you know you you put your money in the bottle and you turn in your bottle and you don't think about it again but on the other end they were very encouraged so i want to thank you and all the campuses who donated to that that's pretty awesome and i think you should give your neighbor a hand uh, right now (laughs) because You might not want to give yourself a hand, I understand that, but clap for your friend. All right. Now to the uh, Bible. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 16. I'm breaking this into three parts, all right? So this is going to be a little Bible study-ish for a sermon. And uh, so, you know, maybe I yell at you as much as normal, maybe I don't yell at you so much. Because <laughs> it's going to be a, a Bible study sort of form- format. We're covering 16 verses. We're breaking it up into three sections Three parts. Here's part one. It's just verse one and two. 
do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity, in all purity. Um, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's telling the shepherd of the church, here's how you interact with the other human beings. Treat church members as beloved family would be treated. Uh, It's assumed you'd respect your father, you'd respect your mother, you'd respect your brother, and you'd respect your sister. So treat them with love. Um, How do you interact with them? They're not employees. (laughs) They're not a group of volunteers, they're not congregants, they're not parish members, they're brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. So even if you have to say something difficult to an older man, how would you approach that if it was your dad, if he's older than you? And if he's younger than you, approach it as if he's your son or your brother. And then likewise, the women. Um, Men and women don't really know how to to act very often in a social setting, (laughs) Think of every woman you see as a sister and every man you see as a brother. Start there. Because what's good for the pastor is a good rule for all. And it was on this moment that Paul leads into the discussion exclusively of women. And so we're just going to talk about women for about 14 verses. Um, In order to do that, we have to talk about widowhood. Now, don't tune out on me, especially if you're a man thinking I'll never be a widow. Um, if you're married, you might make one. Uh, think about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> you don't tune out because God's going to speak to all of us through this word, but we've got to stop and say, what's it like to be a widow in first century ancient Near East where, where Paul is writing? Because we want to understand what he's saying in that context so we can take it and apply it to ourselves in our context. So what... What was the deal with widows so much so that he's going to talk all the way from verse 3 to verse 16 exclusively about widows and women related to widows? There were a lot more widows there than today. Now, I I was uh, at the Catanian campus for some sort of event they had, a big lunch and some entertainment thing that, that the funeral home did, and it was filled with, with uh, senior citizens. Most of them are women. Men, take care of your health. If you outlive your husband, the fishing is good, or your wife, the fishing's good if you want another date because there were like four guys and 80 women. I'm like, if those guys want a date, there's no problem. I don't know why, but women just live longer than we do. And, and, and that's, that was true in the first century, and it's true today. Women are going to live three to eight years longer than you, men, on average. All right? So, and generally, when women get done being married because the husband dies, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of them, um, maybe because there's not many men around, but most of them say, I don't want a man anymore. I, I've done that, and I can't think of anything more burdensome than adding a man to my life. <laughs> Now, I'm not kidding. This is the kind of attitude I get. I'm like, okay, okay, I get that. <laughs> Whereas men are always on the hunt. They're always on the hunt. They could be 90. And they're like, I got to get me another woman. Because we become more and more helpless the older we get, I guess. I don't know. But God made it so most of the time we die first. 
Now you might say, well, is that, was that true back then too? Yeah, that was very true back then. Then how come they had more widows? Well, by the way, a word on life expectancy. Some say, well, the life expectancy in the first century, people would only live till they were 40 years old or 45 years old. And that's really not true. Um, the, where those kind of numbers come from is if you average in all the people who die in childhood or childbirth or all the, all the women who die in childbirth or giving birth, um, yeah, if you average all the males and females, you, you're going to get a low life expectancy. But the reality of the first century is if an adult, if a child made it to adulthood and he's a male, his life expectancy was that he would live into his 70s, just like today. And if a woman could make it through childhood and pregnancy, she too would live. So really the life expectancies were the same then as they are today. So then why are there even more widows then? Well, because women got married very close to becoming an adult. At the moment when a woman physically becomes an adult, not a number, (laughs) shortly after that, a marriage would be arranged. But not with a boy her own age, because boys mature slower, they don't have jobs, <laughs> he'd still be young, so you could have a 15-year-old girl married to a 22-year-old man, seven years older, or even older, 25-year-old man. So they already die younger, now they're older than the girl, so it was not uncommon for first century churches to have a population of widows, Some of them in very good health. Now, back then, a father would give a bride price or a dowry with his daughter. Daughter leaves the family to go with this man. Here's money. What she's supposed to do with that money, ideally, is hold on to it, right? Hold on to the money so that if husband dies, tragically, I have something to care for me, right? But of course, that would often give out. Because either it's a poor family and they need what small dowry they get, um, that would normally be the problem. Uh, They'd spend it or the father didn't have that much to give anyway. So if a husband were to die, the woman would have a choice. I can stay with my kids and my husband's family, if there's one, or I can go back to my family of origin. And, and, And sometimes there was no one to return to at all. It was not uncommon for poor men to die, leaving a widow with very little means to support herself. Um, By the way, this is a quick application. If you're young and you're married, you need life insurance. If you're young and you're married, you need life insurance. Let me say it again. If you're young and you're married, some people are young and say, well, I don't need it yet. If you are young and you're married, you need life insurance, especially on the husband. I don't care if it's a modern age. You need it. Uh, It's cheap right now anyway, by term. By term, don't let them talk you into those other ones. It's the cheapest way. If you're young and you're married, you need life insurance. Did I make it clear? It's just a loving thing to do for your family, men. Okay. So that gives us a situation where there could be a lot of widows. And so Paul gives a lot of attention to widows, starting in our second part, verse 3 to 8. All right? So here's part two of our text, verse three to eight. Are you with me? I told you this was going to be Bible study-like, and that's good. A lot of you love Bible studies, right? So if you're a note taker, you're going to have a lot of writing to do. Um, If you just like the part where I yell at you, wait, I'll yell at you at the end. (laughs) Verse three, honor widows 
who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show good godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now, we're going to break these words down very quickly. First, honor. He says, honor widows. Honor equals financial support. When he says, honor widows, he's saying to the church, you have widows who have nothing. Give them money so they can eat. (laughs) So they have a place to sleep. Maybe you bring them into a home with other people. But it also says, honor widows who are truly widows. Any man dies, leaving behind a wife, has left a true widow. He's not talking about that. When he says truly widows, he means they are truly alone as far as responsibility goes to support. In other words, that was said horribly, they have no one to help them financially and they cannot help themselves. They don't have the means. That's a true widow. In the church, there's no such thing as equity. In America, equity... Equity is the worst idea Americans ever came up with. It's the idea that everyone should be treated the same and everyone should get the same thing. And you might think, well, that's fair. No, it isn't. It's stupid. It's, it's not realistic and it, it, it makes greed go in your heart. He has that. I don't have that. Well, now you're greedy. Um, so if the church gives to one widow and not another widow, is that okay? It's not only okay, it's mandated. Well, it's not equitable. You took some of the money for this one and you didn't give it to that one. Too bad. Stinks to be her. She has money. Only give it to those who are truly widows. Third, it's... Well, not third here, but third in my notes for defining these words. It says, learn to show godliness. Let, Let... If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. What does show godliness means? Get this. Showing... Godliness equals caring for your elderly parents, in this case. Showing godliness equals caring for your own family. I really want to help the church, but i got to help my parents. <laughs> That's helping the church. That's how you show godliness. The reverse is true, too. If you neglect your parents, you're neglecting godliness. And not just your parents, but it extends to your blood relatives, your family. You have a primary responsibility to people who are your kin, as they say in the South. You just do. Um, You can't help everybody in the world, but you'd better help your kin. And, And so if there's a widow, if she has children or grandchildren, they shouldn't say, well, get the church to help them if they have means. No, you help them. That's how you show them godliness. And then here she says, or he says, that they need to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. This makes God happy. What's that mean, make a return? Well, hopefully your parents don't keep an account. I once knew a guy who was adopted. When I was a kid, I knew him. And his, and his brother was adopted, and his dad kept an accounting of how much they cost from the time he adopted them, and he told them that. And he pretty much kept them in debt. You owe me this much money. This is what you cost. That's an awful thing to do. Don't do that. Right? If you're going to keep account, don't give it to them at all. Because nobody wants to be in your debt. Just give it to them. Nevertheless, Paul uses a similar language when he says that you should make some return to your parents. What he's saying is every one of us has gotten life from mom and dad. 
or if you only got one parent out of two stuck around or is alive, then out of mom or out of dad. And you also got provision. You got food. You got clothes. You, you were cared for. So now your parents are the ones in need. Make a return. And to do so is pleasing to God. I want to just sit on this a minute because I think our society, if I can pick on us a little bit, doesn't think this way. Because of the wealth of Americans, we, we all have our own place, our own apartment, our own house, and we all get off on our own. And very often, as, 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 as people get old, they're alone. And partly, the one they have to blame is themselves. Because they didn't teach their kids <laughs> to honor them. Do you know what I mean? And partly, it's the kids who are selfish and think, why should I interrupt my life or inconvenience my life for this person, right? I know there's many situations, as, as many as there are people, but God says it is, making some return is, is pleasing to God. And I want to tell a, a story that may be embarrassing to someone here. Um, uh, we, in, my family's been blessed with a third daughter, but she belongs to someone else, so she, we can't really claim her. She has parents, and they're alive, and they didn't put her up for adoption. <laughs> but <laughs> we still call her our daughter because she's been with us since she was in the 10th grade. She went through four years of college and um, she, she's now in the workforce and she's still part of the family. And Sue Young is from Korea. And Korea's in the news a lot these days, right? So we love Korea and we want Korea to, good things to happen in Korea. And um, Sue's been over with, living with us since the 10th grade. And um, so when she went through college and she got a job, and she got her first paycheck. She came home, she was all excited. She was working up in Meadville, and she gave me $200. And I was like, why are you giving me $200? Because I think in my culture. My culture is kids don't give us money, we give them money. That's how it works. We try to stop giving them money because they stop, they keep asking for it. It doesn't normally bounce back. And I said, no, you don't have to give me this. We give it to you. She says, no, I have to give it to you. And she was smiling. She was happy. Why? Because in my country, it is our way of showing appreciation to our parents and the commitment they made is we give them a portion of our very first earned paycheck. And I realized I was being honored. I was being honored. I didn't even recognize it because I'm an American. (laughs) You're just supposed to talk back to us from the time you're 13. I'm just hoping we'll be friends when you're 23. (laughs) That's the American way. (laughs) But it touched me. And I thought that's something that has been lost in our culture. And I'm not saying we should be that way because Koreans are. I'm saying we should be that way because the Bible says that. I mean, he's speaking to an ancient Near Eastern culture. They would understand this. Oh, you honor the parent. We're very individualistic in America, and part of that is good because it gives us our freedom, and part of it is bad because we we lose a sense of responsibility to our own kinfolk. You know, we lose a sense that their name is our name, and we shouldn't shame it, and we should bring it honor, and we should care for one another. Um, So anyway, that's what Paul's getting at there. Verse 5, he says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So now he's defining a true widow. He's going farther than that she's poor 
and has no means. Note what he's saying about her. She's a certain kind of woman. What does she do? She has free time. Apparently, if she had kids, she raised them. Now she has time. What does she do with her time? She sets all her hope on God. She continues in prayer for the church. Or, there's a contrast, she could be self-indulgent. She can, she can run around gossiping and creating trouble. trying to spend. All, she could drink a lot. Oh, people often let women off the hook thinking only men drink. Old women can flat drink. I've known them. You can find some old women who can put it back. <laughs> that's, I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. Well, maybe she's just self-indulgent in, hey, I take the money I can get and I buy cigarettes and lotto tickets and watch TV and you better give me some more and they're not appreciative. It's a self-indulgent person. According to the scripture, the Christian woman who gets to the end of her life, she's not married and she lives a self-indulgent life is dead. She's dead even if she lives. She's useless to the church, useless to God. That's very strong language. She's dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so they may be without reproach. So, <laughs> Timothy, I want you to talk to the older ladies as mothers. Yeah, and when you do, tell them, quit drinking or you're dead. <laughs> that's not what I'd say to my mom, but <laughs> do you see that's what he's telling Timothy? Instruct the women. Teach them when you get old. Your life is to be given to godliness, not indulgence. Then verse 8, he goes to the other side. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Just like the widow who is self-indulgent is dead, so those who neglect the widow or neglect any members of their immediate family or even those outside. Because he says, if you does not, do not provide for your relatives, especially the members of your household, you have denied the faith. You're worse than an unbeliever. So you could be a, a widow who's dead because of your self-indulgence, or you could be a younger person, male or female, and you are worse than an unbeliever because you know better and you don't behave. Both would be good for nothing in the church. So this is a very stern warning, isn't it? Somebody give me an amen. Just, just let me know you hear me. Part three... We're going to move from that, from the widows and charity for widows, to a new idea. Part three is verse nine to 16. He says, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. That does not mean she was only married once, but that she was a one-man woman. And that means she always was faithful to her only husband, even if she had a couple and they died and she moved on to the next. She was always a one-man woman, having a reputation for good works. She's brought up her children, and that, that means she stuck with them and disciplined them and loved them, and she's shown hospitality. Strangers would come by and find, find a home and find care and food and love. She has washed the feet of the saints. That's probably figurative, but it's a figure of service to church members. Has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. 
Who are these widows he's talking about in verse 9 and 10? They're not the charity widows. They're absolutely not the charity widows. Uh, For two reasons I'd say that. The first is he says, let them be enrolled. There's some sort of enrollment in a group. But second, God would not withhold charity to an old woman because in her youth she was a sinner. He wouldn't say withhold that. We're, we're people of mercy. Okay, you were awful till you were 58. Now you walk with the Lord. We're still going to give you food. <laughs> He's not going to make the requirement that you eat that you've had this kind of character. We give to the good. We give to the evil. We, you know what I mean? Are you with me? So who are these women? Well, if you look at the qualifications, they're similar to a deacon with one exception, and that's the age. This is likely an order or a team, a group of women who do ministry. They serve the church. They have to be past 60. I think what's got there is their past childbearing age, and now they're a widow, They've raised their own children. You know, you start having your babies at childbearing time, 16, right? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you're 60, you're done. And you've raised your children. And then you don't have a man and you're past the age of caring about having a man, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) You're like, I don't need one either. Anyway, I'm pretty happy without them. I had one good one and God took him home. Hopefully that's the story my wife will give. <laughs> There's laughter in the room for that one. As long as she tells me that's the story she's going to use up until I die, I don't care. But another qualification is she's proved herself by good works. In another place, Paul said a woman should be dressed in A godly woman wears the the clothing of good works. So this is a woman who, she's older, but in the time she's been among the church, people have known she is a good person. She's a good woman. She's a good wife. She's kind to the hurting. This is likely a person empowered to instruct younger women, to direct ministry to the sick, to show mercy, to help children, Because this is in line with Paul's other instruction. In in his letter to Titus, he says this, and, and some of you are familiar with this. He says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. They take responsibility for the young women. Again, in our culture, this could be tough because young women don't respect old women, and that's gotta go, the... Um, women now, to be respectful, they got to stay young. <laughs> they got to stretch their skin. Like, have you guys seen pictures of Jane Fonda yet? She's younger than my daughters. And she's like 80, 85 years old, right? You know, underneath all that, she's probably just crumbling dust, right? <laughs> if you like pluck her skin, she'll probably just go to the ground. But this is what an old woman's got to do to get respect in this culture. She's got to get rid of all her gray hair and get rid of all her wrinkles and look like she ain't old. And that's got to go. In the church, that's got to go. We have to respect our, our, those older than us. And then those who are older need to take responsibility for those younger. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. That would be thought of as anathema in our culture. To train young women to love husbands and children is thought to be 
foolish, but it is commanded. To be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So in Titus, Paul sees a role for older women to build the younger women and therefore build the church. And that leads us, believe it or not, finally to a map point. And it's a summary here. Paul saw older women, parentheses, those who have raised their children already or are older widows. Some, you can be a widow, but you could be married and still follow Titus. As valuable workers who could keep the church healthy by keeping the families of the church healthy and by teaching the ways of Jesus to younger children and younger women and children. It should say, I left a word out. The, the, you, you can, I sometimes will see uh, moms who have kids. One, two, three, four, five. It doesn't matter how many you got. It, life can be rough, Right? And because uh, it, it, it's tiring and we don't live in village settings anymore because of, again, our relative wealth. You could live in your apartment all by yourself. No other women to help you. No sisters around, no cousins around. It's just you and kids all day long. So when your husband comes home, he wonders why you look crazy. And then you're like, well, well you try this. <laughs> I haven't seen an adult, you know. Your husband comes in and you ask him, do you need to go potty? I don't know what you're talking about. But I lost what I was going with that when I was having so much fun. <laughs> so let, let me, could somebody help me out? Teaching ways of Jesus to young women. It's going to come to me right when I start the next thing. Well, let me move to the next, and I'm going to remember why I was saying that. 125 years after Paul wrote this letter, there's actually evidence of a group of single women who served the church in an official capacity. This, uh, let me quote to you by something from John Stott. Here's the quote. It is not until the end of the second century, however, that Tertullian gives us unequivocal, unequivocal evidence that an order of widows existed. In his time and in the third century, the registered widows gave themselves to prayer, nursed the sick, cared for the orphans, visited Christians in prison, evangelized pagan women, and taught female converts to the preparation for baptism. So by the years 150 or 25 AD, there were orders of women of widows who did good deeds in the church. By the way, I remembered what my point was. So I talked to those Christian women, and they'll say, Pastor, I'm so sorry that I can't help in the church. I know I'd do a great job if I could teach Sunday school and I want to serve in this way and I want to help in women's ministry. But why won't God let me do anything in the church? I don't have time. My answer is always the same. You're building the church by spending 10 years of your life going crazy with toddlers because you are building the families of the church in health and in godliness so that you can create humans who walk with God. That is how you build a healthy church. And the older women build a healthy church once they've done that by pouring into other humans in the church to build families themselves. What a blessing it would be to have a team of moms and grandmoms loving the people of the church. Now, there were some prohibitions from the service of this order of widows. Uh, Look in verse 11. It says, Refuse to enroll younger widows. 
For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. So there's an age restriction. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned the former, former faith. Apparently, you'd have a 30-year-old widow. And she said, oh, I miss my husband so much. There's nothing to live for. I'm just going to join the order of widows and help the church. And then two years later, she's feeling better. And she sees this really nice Jewish boy named Jonah. And she goes, huh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. And they break their vow. Or they're tempted to do evil. And what Paul is saying is, there's a certain stage of life where you can trust a woman... <laughs> To not run after a man. Make sure they're there. <laughs> um, you might say, this is crazy advice for 2018. I don't think women and men have changed. We don't have an order of widows. Um, I don't know if we could pull that off in our culture, but um, whatever. If you commit to leading, make sure you're qualified to lead is what he's saying. No immature or sinful women, of course. He says, besides that, here's who he's warning against. They, and I don't think this is all, he's saying some women learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies. They're supposed to be there to serve, and all they're doing is passing on the latest dirt that they got at the last house, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. does not mean you have to get married if you're young, but it does mean <laughs> that... That's going to be the regular way for young women. Most of you, the best thing to do is going to be get married and you have a responsibility to propagate the house, the, 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 the race, the human race, children, bear children, manage the household. This stuff is scary stuff to preach on. Bear children and manage their households. You're not supposed to say that to women because it's supposed to be a very low expectation of women um, you're not letting them have real power. You ask them to have children. If none of them have children, there stops being a human race. He, he gives a final summary. If any believing women, woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened and let it care for those who are truly widows. That's really a summary statement of what we've already seen. Okay, that ends the teaching part. Now I want to finish with some implications for our culture. You ready? One, implications of this teaching for our times. One, churches should organize and mobilize women to minister to women in the church. This one almost doesn't need to be said because women, I've found, as being pastor of two churches and observing many others, are naturally industrious, industrious environment builders. I have found they build the environment. They build the terrarium that we all live in. They build our ecosystem that we live in. The women just do it. And that could be in your home. It's definitely true in the church. They form ministries for women and children. It's not hard as a pastor to get women to start to organize and build ministry to minister to kids and women. They just do it. And it's a wonderful thing. (laughs) It's... Um, But beyond this, I'd say elders of our church, in any church, should guide women toward shepherding one another. Uh, Harvest women's ministry ebbs and flows. Each one of our campuses does what they do. We have a women's retreat that is kind of all four campuses. Um, And sometimes there's a lot going on in women's ministry and sometimes a little. It depends really on who's leading at that time and what's going on. But each women's ministry 
team, no matter how they organize, is to have three values for every event. Um, And this was adopted by a group of leaders of our women's ministry a decade ago. Those three values are this. One, every event should encourage Christian women from our church or another church, because that's our mission. Any church they can help. Two, they should reach out to lost women. So there should be a way to invite women who don't know Christ into your midst. And three, they should instruct in the scriptures. I think those are beautiful. Edify, evangelize, and educate. And educate. And um, anyway, the more we do, the better. Second implication is Christians should lead the way in multi-generational love and concern. Young adults should be considering the projected needs of parents long before necessary. Adults must instruct their children and their responsibilities from young age. And adults must set the example by caring for parents. Uh, um, this, This doesn't go out of style, folks. If you're having children now, if you're in the age of having children, teach your children they're responsible for you when you're old. And you may think that sounds odd to my ear. It is odd to your ear because the culture you live in doesn't naturally teach it but the Bible teaches it. So who's going to teach your children if it's not you? I've told my kids from the time they're little, I'm going to do my best to have some sort of retirement, but ultimately you're my safety net. (laughs) People think that's funny, and I guess it is, but I'm telling them. Not because, it's just because that's God's way. I shouldn't be living in a box on the side of the road if I have kids with food and a house. It shouldn't be that way. Right? But that also means the adults who are, need to be willing to humble themselves. You know, um, and you need to take care of the ones above so you show an example. And maybe not always the ones above. Sometimes it's a cousin or a brother or a sister or someone in need. And you show them because they're kin, we do this. Because they're kin, we care for them. Not because they deserve it or anything. Just because we had the good luck of having them as kin. As, right? Are you with me? That should be the Christian way is to build the, the blood family matters. It's the way God organizes us. If we'll care for them first, then we can go out. Everyone gets cared for. And that means, may mean humbling yourself when you're older and letting people help care for you. Um, that's, that's enough on that. Third, women should see maintaining church health as a primary responsibility. Let me repeat that one. Women, all every woman in the church listening to me, should see maintaining church health as a primary responsibility. Primary meaning bottom level. Now, speaking to married women, your first prim- priority is, is your home environment. Now, that's how you build a healthy church, as I mentioned before. You, you, if, if you have a husband and if you have children or one or the other or only one, <laughs> um, you, you need to be a Christian woman in that home and build that environment. That is what you're going to be better at than men. You just will and they need you to do it and that's how you build the church. Then, if, once those responsibilities are met or if they, like in our text, you're a widow you're just building a home environment for yourself and nobody else perhaps, then you you need to bring that into the church. Single women, first priority, needs of your parents or family members, right? That's in here. But then caring for the people of your church. That should be what you live your life for, to build your church. 
women too old to work. Well, I guess they're off the hook. According to the scripture here, no, then if you can't move your body to help others, or you don't have the physical means to help others, then you should take up the ministry of prayer for your church. This, this, this isn't theory. This is what you should be doing. All women should be ready to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. All women should be ready on your tongue. You should be ready to say to anyone you meet, if God gives the opportunity, did you know that Jesus Christ died for my sins and has forgiven me? Did you know he died on a cross for your sins? Did you know you can be forgiven of sin? Did you know you can receive Christ and be born again? Did you know you could start a journey with Jesus today and you can have peace with God, every woman? No exceptions. And I say it to you too, if you don't know Christ today, did you know that Christ died as a substitute for you? Take away your sins so you can be saved. Believe in him. Finally, we must recognize that women are not men and men are not women. As you know, this needs to be said today. It shouldn't need to be said. said. I, I shouldn't need to say it, but you need to say it. This entire section of scripture is dedicated to women. If women are saying, well, yeah, well, what about the men? I'm not getting to it because it's not in this text. Come back next week to hear what's next. (laughs) In our modern times, such talk would be called sexism. We are taught to treat men and women as if they are the same Not equal in value, but the same. Men are men, women are women. (laughs) Anytime you point out a difference or say there should be a difference or some limitation on the men because they're men or a limitation on the women because they're women, you are called immoral. If you suggest, well, perhaps we shouldn't take our women because they're not as physically strong and, and generally not as ready to kill and make them frontline soldiers. Oh no, you're a sexist taking their opportunity away. If we say, perhaps we shouldn't let our men marry other men because they're not women. You say, oh, you're oppressing them. Great damage has been done to the human family. That's who eats this. That's where the damage comes, the human family. We are raising women who don't want to be married, don't want to have kids, or at least not now. Why? Because I'm not ready. Well, when will you be ready? Right? <laughs> women don't... Well, you, you talk to a girl coming out of high school, I'm in love with this guy, are you going to marry him? Oh, I'm not ready for marriage. When will you be ready? At least after college. Okay. <laughs> well, now are you ready? Not yet. I got to start my job. Okay. So you finally get married. Are you ready for kids? I'm not ready yet. Can I give you a hint if you're young? Let me tell you when you're going to be ready to be married. Never. And let me give you a hint on when you're ready to be a parent. Never. I've never met a parent who said, well, I'm glad I was prepared for that. <laughs> this is a cinch. And we have men who don't take any responsibility. Michelle Obama spoke uh, this past week, and I heard some of her comments. It was at the Women's Summit or something. 
And she said, we have to fix what we teach our little girls. She says, when I was a little girl, I still, and she said this was like a mistake, would talk to my girlfriends about wanting to marry this man or wanting to marry that man and wanting to have children. We need to tell our girls, teach them, that's not what you're supposed to want. (laughs) I guess you're supposed to want to do men's jobs, if there are men's jobs. Go out and be a plumber. Well, they never say that. They always want to be CEOs. A lot of men are plumbers. I don't know. <laughs> you never see the women's movement going, we need to get into the plumber's union. <laughs> Do you see how satanic it is that we live in a society that cheers and resonates with the thought that a woman is successful if she can avoid marriage and having a baby? We are attacking humanity. And when you remove men from taking responsibilities because they are men, you will lose their civilization. You will lose their civilization. If you don't think women are a civilizing force on men, you don't know nothing. You don't know your elbow from the hole in the ground. It's just a fact. A man becomes a man when he becomes responsible for himself and one more person. And, and I'm not saying single men. You, you, men, if, you, if you're single your whole life, you don't have to get married, men or women, to fulfill your masculinity or your femininity. So if you're a single man, you can take responsibility for yourself and then you look for others to serve. Single woman, same thing. But I am saying that it's the norm for most of us to get married and to make a family. And a man is, is, is to do his part and a woman is to do her part and it's not the same part because they're not the same. They have the same number of fingers, same number of toes, same number of eyes and ears and nose generally. I mean, some people may be missing an eye or an ear or a nose, I don't know. But mostly you have them. But after that, the similarity ends. You're so different and you have different roles. And we have men acting like children. Adolescence just never ends. Why should it? Women are always wanting to hook up. Women are taught you should want to hook up and have an overnight just like the men. Then you're liberated. How's that work out for you, ladies? Let's make your soul feel good. And the men have no responsibilities. The tragedy of gay adoption. It's tragedy. Because what, it's not a tragedy because any individual gay couple, how they would individually treat a child. Heck, you could have a heterosexual couple that beats a child. It has nothing to do with that. It's the bigger picture. What you're telling children is there's no difference between a mom and a dad that matters. And it's just a lie against humanity. You need a mommy and you need a daddy. It's Mother's Day weekend. Some people are going to be mourning because their mother stunk at being a woman. You're just going to have a rotten time of it. Everyone's celebrating Mother's Day. I hated my mother. Not me. I'm saying that may be what some say. Or on Father's Day, you say the same thing. I hated my father. Well, why should it bother you? Why should it bother you? Why do you need one of each sex? 
Why do you feel you missed something if one of one sex didn't deliver or ran off? You had someone. The human soul knows, I need a mommy and I need a daddy. I need the mommy to be a woman. I need the daddy to be a man. And they each uniquely give me something. Men and women are not the same in very important ways. We are the same in equality, of value, and all those things. But it's insanity when we try to treat each other as if male and female make no difference. So Mother's Day is no small thing. Everyone here has had a mother or you wouldn't be here. Jesus never had a wife. He never had the responsibilities of a husband on earth. He never had kids. He never had the responsibilities of a father. But he had a mom. Everybody has a mom. Mothering can be done only by women. God made women to carry humanity in their body. And there's nothing more important to a woman who's pregnant than caring for that child. God made women, in the best case scenario, to feed us with their body and nurture us and speak nice to us while they do that. And he didn't make men to do that. Men can't feed you with their body. And they're generally not as good at that other stuff either. My friends, I'm saying Mother's Day is a time for us to remember that it's getting to the point that the last institution on the earth that can rescue femininity and motherhood is the church. And so many in the church are willing to lay that down for fear of what ungodly people think. And we ought not be that way. That's why even if you have a rotten mother, forgive her and celebrate Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a way of saying, I praise God because it's good to be alive from a woman. Mother's Day, that's what it's for. My mother's in heaven. I'm going to celebrate Mother's Day anyway because it's good to be alive. And I had a mom (laughs) and she was a woman. (laughs) And if she wasn't, my dad and my stepdad are going to be shocked. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.